somebody had asked me, you know, I was in uh, Los Angeles for Shavuos, and somebody had asked me, why did God create this world? If he wanted to benefit mankind, then why didn't he create Ulam Habo first, or altogether? Why do we need this world? Remember, this world has tremendous amount of struggles. People, you know, they fail, sometimes they succeed. But there's no question that there's a tremendous amount of struggle, you see. So why do we need this for? This is the interesting thing, you see. Now, we know basically what the purpose of creation is. You know, it's really very simple when you think about it. God created the world to bestow an infinite state of goodness on a recipient. And that recipient is man, mankind. Okay, that's why he created the world. To be mative, to do good, to benefit something other than God. And that's why he created everything, you see. And the question, of course, is, well, what is that benefit? And the benefit that God wants to give is an experience, a divine experience, where you will have a tremendous sense of attachment to God. Because obviously, if God has everything in him, then the greatest source of pleasure would be to attach yourself to God. That is called vekut, attachment, clinging, you see. And in many ways, that is really the expected uh, state that everybody has to experience. Now, we don't know why, uh, you know, that, that, that attachment to God will produce uh, exactly, but that's what he wants. And actually, later on, I can't say why, but anyway, what it produces. Uh, but the main idea is that the motive of God to create everything is to bestow an infinite state of goodness on mankind, uh, you know, in general, and specifically, of course, on the Jewish people. Now, why does God want to do that? That's unknown. God never revealed the motive behind the motive. You see, we know the direct motive, which is to bestow an infinite state of goodness or pleasure on man. But why does he want to do that? We don't know. He's never revealed to anybody what the motive of the motive is, you see. <laughs> but in any case, that's what he wants. And what God wants, the infinite state of goodness, of course, is where God will allow man to cling to him, to a divine being, you see. And, of course, that is uh, beyond comprehension. Now, God decided in the beginning, and he had to make this decision, does he want mankind to receive this incredible state of pleasure for free, which means that you don't have to do anything. God will create you, and he will allow you to, they could, to cling to him, and you will experience that state for free, for absolutely nothing that you did to deserve it. That's what he could have done, you see. 
And therefore, uh, that state would not be a reward, it would be a gift. It's called a matana, a gift. So he could have done that. However, God decided that he is not going to do that. He will give this incredible state of existence, but not as a gift. He will give it only as a reward, which means that you need to expend effort. You got to do something, ishtadlut, and then he will give you this, this reward. So therefore, that is called a reward. It's not called a gift, free gift, matana. It's called schar, which is a reward, obviously, for tremendous amount of effort that you put in. So he decided to go that route. We have to work for your ilm habo. Now the question is, why? Why does God have to do this? Why not create the future world first and let and let it remain that way? So therefore, you are created, and as soon as you're created, you experience this unbelievable state of pleasure. That is a very difficult question to answer in many ways. <clears throat> and I'm sure people have that on their mind. You know, why do I have to go through all this pain and suffering and effort to enjoy anything? Why not, you know, God just let him create this incredible state initially? Now, certainly God could have done that. There's no question about that. So then the question is, why not? But the bigger question is this. What was the first thing that God created? Well, the first thing that God creates is a certain concept. It's called toiv, goodness. So therefore, what God created is a concept of goodness, or toiv, you see. And he decided that the greatest state of toiv is existence itself, is to be. Obviously, if you're not, if you don't exist, so... You know, you don't have anything because you don't exist. So therefore, the word toiv reflects, you see, the greatest thing he can do for you. Therefore, God created a concept called toiv, goodness, right? And he adapted it as his personality. Because God has no personality. Nothing coexists with God. God has to create concepts, characteristics, and then he can decide which ones he wants as a personality. So he picked a concept called toiv. First he created the concept of good, goodness, which basically is existence, right? And then he decides that he wants to be that. Now, somebody who is good, right, who has this quality in him that he always wants to do good, right, that quality is, is obviously what he assumed. But somebody who is too is also a native. Not only is he good, but he does good, you see. So God, therefore, is a toiv, and he's a mative. He is good in himself, which means that he has all the qualities of existence and being, and he's mative. He wants to give that to others, you see. 
So he's a toiv and a mative. <clears throat> now, not only is he a mative, he does good. He not only is good, but he does good, right? But since God is perfect, he wants to give the perfect, uh, the, the, the greatest good, perfect good, because that's the quality of a toiv and a mative. Since God is toiv, he is good, right? He's perfectly good. And since he's a native, he does good. He does goodness to others in a perfect way. And that's called Hatova Shlemo. Hatova Shlemo means to the perfect goodness. If we can expect God that when he wants to do good to others, you see, he will give them the greatest possible existence, the greatest possible uh, pleasure that can be, and believe, and believe me, you know, God knows exactly what the greatest pleasure is, and that's what he wants to do. You see? Uh, so that's his decision. So we know the motive of God is to do good, right? Hatova, right? And we also know that he decided he will be that experience. And besides that, he decided, right, that he wants to do good in the perfect, best possible manner. So that brings us the question again. If you want to do good in the best possible manner, right, so then why not create us in Oilam Habo? Why not create us in a place which has the greatest possible goodness? And since God decided that that possible goodness is related, relating to him, to cling or attach yourself to him. So now why not do that initially? You see, now we know that God decided not to do that, that he's going to give us the greatest state of goodness only if we expend an effort to get this goodness, which means it's not a gift, it is a reward. So the question is, of course, is why? And there's another reason why it's difficult to understand why he did that. Because if he makes the future world, which is the greatest goodness, okay, if he makes that dependent on your behavior, which means you need to do it to earn it, right, then there's a risk. The risk is you may not do that job, and therefore you won't get Oilam Habo. In other words, once you make the experience of Oilam Habo, dependent on your actions, you see, then it's possible not to do those actions, and therefore you will lose the future world, or rather, you will not get it. So there's a tremendous risk involved, which makes the question much more difficult to understand. Why not create the future world, Oilam Habo, first and only that? Why do we have to go through this world? and struggle to create Oilam Habo. Now, what in essence ultimately means is that if we have to work to do this, right, to create, to, to, to enjoy Oilam Habo, what that really means is that we have to be responsible or cause our own Oilam Habo. You see, that's what it means. Because if I struggle and I work to do the right things, which is the task, that God gives, fine. You know, that means I will have, then I get it. 
which means that I would have created my situation or I would have caused my situation of being in Oilem Habo. So what God wants is that we literally have to cause our own experience in Oilem Habo, in the future world. And that is incredible, you see. And that ultimately is the question of why is the world this way? Why do we have to struggle? Now, we know what the task is. The task is, is that God creates a place that is devoid of his presence. We don't see it. You see, that is the state of existence of Oilem Hazer, this world. And God made it on purpose, you see. So we have to find out that this world, which is physical, is not the true reality. The true reality is spiritual, you see. And therefore, we have to discover that and measure for measure. To the extent that we discover that, to that extent, we will experience that world, the spiritual world, you see. So therefore, that's what God does. He gives us a task, which is a place which he is not present in the sense that he's absent, you know, in a certain sense. And he wants us to discover that he is everything and that the true nature of reality is really God. To the extent that we discover that, we will experience that very nature of the world. You see? This is therefore the condition that God places for us to experience Him. But again, the question is why? Well, <clears throat> there's a certain term that is used by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. It is called Nahama de Kisufo. It is called Bread of Shame. You see? Bread of Shame. What does Bread of Shame mean? If somebody gives you, you know, let's say, sustenance, and you don't have to do anything about it. In fact, his requirement is that you do nothing, but just receive the things that he gives you, you know. After a while, you begin to experience what's called inferiority or shame, you see, because we all want to feel useful. We want to feel like somebody, something. And when you do nothing that in, in any way uh, exemplifies that you are somebody and you do that by doing things, then you feel like nobody. You see? And uh, that's called shame. What exactly is shame? It's a very important emotion that when a person feels it, and if he feels it continuously, it is very destructive. <clears throat> what a shame. Imagine. Imagine you take a shower, right? And you come out of the shower, obviously, and you're not dressed. And you walk by this full-length mirror. And you see yourself in the mirror, right? And you're embarrassed. You're ashamed. Because let's say your body is not in the shape or form that you'd like it to be in. Right? Especially if you're getting older. So you are what's called embarrassed at the way you look. And therefore, embarrassment is shame. Well, what are you experiencing? Shame is 
is the emotion that a person feels when he feels exposed, vulnerable, when he actually sees an inferiority, a vulnerability in him, then he gets ashamed or embarrassed. You see, <clears throat> for instance, if a teacher asks a question and you try and he wants to know the question answer, right? And you raise your hand and you try to answer the question, but your question, your answer, I should say, is ridiculous. Let's assume it's a, it's a, non, it's a nonsense answer, right? And all of a sudden, everybody starts laughing at you, the class, the teacher, because that's how ridiculous your answer was. What happens? You feel ashamed. You feel embarrassed. Why? <clears throat> because all of a sudden, the fact that everybody's laughing at you, right, means that you are inferior. You just said a ridiculous answer. And that shows everybody, and it shows you that you're not what you think you are. You have a tremendous amount of inferiority. And that causes embarrassment, shame, you see? So shame is the emotion that you experience when you realize something that indicates that you are inferior. And then you experience shame. Now, unfortunately, many kids grow up shamed because perhaps their parents are too critical of them. They demand too much. They demand, let's say, perfectionism or whatever. And they're always castigating. They're always making fun of their kids. And there are parents like that. Then that kid will grow up with a tremendous sense of inferiority or shame, you see. And that's very destructive to a child. So therefore we see that shame is an emotion, right, that you want to avoid. So that's what Nahmadik Sufa is. It's called the bread of shame. That when somebody gives you something that you don't deserve, in other words, that you did nothing, you see, to deserve this, then you become very, very embarrassed. Because it's a reflection on your true worth, that you're really not worth much, you see? And like I said, that's a very destructive emotion. So therefore, we understand what shame is and why it happens. It's an exposure of your vulnerability, your weakness, in terms of who you really are, you see. And all of a sudden, it's revealed. So you are ashamed. Now, in many ways, this is the problem of creation. It is called the central problem of creation. What does that mean? If I asked you, it's a very interesting question, this question. If God appeared to you in the middle of the night, in a dream, like he appeared to Shlomo Melach, okay, and he asked him, what would he like? Money, chokhmah, wisdom, and so on. Imagine if God appears to you and asks you that question. And he says to you, you know, I like what you're doing. And I'm going to give you anything you ask for, anything, I will give it to you because I am God and I can deliver, right? So the question is, what are you going to ask for? It's a very powerful 
question. You see? Can you imagine? I mean, the, 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 the uh, American version or whatever is the genie in the bottle, where since you released it, right, he will grant you the wish. Well, imagine if God did that, right? And he said, I will grant you one wish. What would you like? What would you want? That's the question. Well, everybody can ask themselves what they would like. You know, some people want tremendous wealth. Some people want tremendous, uh, you know, materialism and so on. Some people want fame. Everybody's got something perhaps that they would like if they were asked. But what's the best answer? I will tell you. And when I do, you will agree with me. What's the greatest thing to be? And the answer is, the greatest thing to be is God, isn't it? Because God is completely independent. He has no dependencies at all, right? Not only that, he has no needs. He doesn't need anything. Not only that, he has no deficiencies. He's not lacking anything. So imagine a being that has no deficiencies. In other words, he's got everything He's perfect. So obviously, if he's perfect, then he has no imperfections. Not only that, but he's not dependent on any being, on anything outside himself. You see? And when I mean not dependent, I mean not dependent. He's not dependent on air, right? Or anything. He doesn't doesn't need a body. Uh, Now, of course, we don't know what that means. But remember, God is a being of perfection. It's perfect. No dependencies, no deficiencies. You see, no needs. Well, and not only that, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. That's called omnipotent, or omnipotence. God is also knowing everything. That's called omniscience. He knows everything, you see. And besides that, God is also omnipresent. He's all over. He, he's, there's no place that is devoid, really, of his presence. <clears throat> so therefore, you would answer to this question, right? I want to be God. That's, a, that's an incredible request. That's what you would ask for. That is the greatest answer. Because if you were God, you could do whatever you want. You wouldn't have to ask anybody else, right? You could do whatever you want. That would be the ideal gift. But the problem is this. You see, will God do that for you? That's the question. And the answer is, the answer is yes. What God wants to do, most people don't realize that. God wants to make you as much as he can, so to speak, a God. Yes. Yisim Kelukim. And you will be as God, you see? And uh, therefore God wants to do that because that in many ways is the greatest he, thing he could do for you. That's called Hatova Shlema, isn't it? It's called the best thing he can do for you is to make you a God. Because then you're completely, uh, you know, independent of anybody. You can do whatever you want. Now, did God do that? And the answer is Yes. He created the neshama. Now, we don't know what the neshama is. We'll find out later on, obviously. 
Uh, but the neshama is an entity that is divine in whatever sense divinity is. Because that's what it says. Echelik elokai mimal mamish. That the neshama is part of God. Now we don't know what that means because God has no parts. But in some sense, the neshama has a divinity to it that malachim tremble in front of. Yes, the neshama is much greater than a malach. Much greater. Because the neshama is part of God in a way that nothing else is. Like I said, he's a chilek elekaimimal mamish. That the neshama is a part of the living God, you see. And therefore, the neshama is the greatest thing that God can make. A replica, almost, of himself. Now, obviously, we are not God. But in some manner, we are the greatest replica of him. Which ultimately, we will find out what that means. You see. However, here comes the problem. If God makes you something almost akin to him, and where do we see this? Because it says, God made man in his image. His image is divine. And it says that he made the neshama, he made man in his image. Now there are many different interpretations of image. But the plain meaning is that in some way, we resemble him, you see. So that is absolutely incredible. You see? And that we understand now because that's Hatova Shlema. The greatest thing that God can make you is a copy, a replica of himself. You see? And the answer is he did do that. That's what he did do. That is the image of God. However, there now arises a tremendous problem. What is the problem? Because even though in some way we are in his image, you see, we are divine, divine beings. In fact, it says in one of the Telem, right, that, uh, that you are called God. It's in Yom Shlishi, the third day of the week, we read a certain chapter, and Dover Melech says, right, that you are like God in that Telem, in that Perak, and so on. But the problem is this, that even though in that sense we do resemble God, you see, but in reality we need Him to give us existence. We do not exist by ourselves. We are totally and absolutely dependent on God, you see. So maybe in some way we have a divine nature, you see. However, there's a rea- and, and, and that is a reality, but there's an, another reality which is opposite to that. And that reality is that we receive. We cannot feed ourselves existence. We need God to make us be, to give us existence. Well, if that's the case, there is now a conflict. Because the, the, the part of me that is divine feels divine feels like I'm God but the part of me that is created and given existence that feels like I'm not divine right I'm a receiver 
and I'm not independent of God. Well, if that's the case, we have two conflicting feelings or awarenesses or consciousnesses. And therefore, when God, even if God gives us the greatest possible pleasure, since I'm always receiving it, I will always have shame. That is the origin of the bit of shame. Is the conflict, you see, between God, between being a divine being, you see, and being a being that is completely dependent on the existence or the existence that God gives us. You see? That is the origin of the bit of shame. God wants to make us a being like him, but the most, obviously, but we wind up being a being that is completely dependent for our existence on him. You see? So that creates an enormous conflict, a, a, a tremendous battle of experiences to be God and to be human or created. You see? And that's very bad because in the future world we may feel divine but at the same time we are being given existence by God. So therefore we can feel that we are a nivra, a created entity, you see? And therefore imagine suffering for eternity with that conflict. Obviously that cannot be. Uh, so what does God do to solve it? So what the Ramasham does, what God does is very interesting. He gives us a certain power, and nobody knows how he does it, that only a God can do. What is that power? The power of causation. Nothing is caused other than by God. Only God can cause. Because he can give something in existence, and therefore it becomes, you see. We can't do that. We really can't cause. We cannot give existence to anything because we don't have it. You see, God is it, so he can do it. We have it and it can be taken away, but we cannot give existence to something else. We can discover something, but we cannot create something just because to create something means to be able to give it a new thing that never existed before. We just do not have that power, you see. But what God did is very interesting. He allowed us to have that power, and we have no idea how, where we can actually create something out of nothing. In other words, we can actually create something that didn't exist before we created it. That's divine. The ability to create something that did not exist before, only God can do. And God gave it to man. That ability of man to choose, to create that which did not exist before he made it, is called free will. Free will is the actions of a god. <clears throat> Nobody can do free will. What does free will mean? That means when a person is, you know, he's confronted with a choice, right? All of a sudden, he, let's say A or B, to do A or to do act B. And all of a sudden, he chooses to do act A. Well, who put that choice in his mind? You cannot create a choice because that means you would be given existence to the choice or the resolution. You can't do that because you can give nothing. You can't give existence to anything. 
So what God did is he allows you, and we have no idea how, that you can actually create the choice. You see? In other words, you have a choice, but you can create the decision to do A. Now, did God put the decision to do A in your mind? And the answer is no. You created the decision to do A. That is free will, which means your will, what you decide to do, is free, which means it's up to you. It doesn't pre-exist your decision. And God does not put it in your mind. You actually create the decision what the choice is. You see, now, whether you'll be able to do that decision is not up to you. God will allow you to now carry forth the decision. But the decision itself, I want to do A, is yours. Did not, and it did not pre-exist you at all. You actually brought it into creation. You gave it existence, the decision itself. That's called free will. That is a divine act. So the interesting thing is God, God said this. I'm going to give you the the Olam uh, Habo, the world of the future world. But guess what? You need to make it. You need to create the free world for yourself. How? By deciding what to do. You see, when you decide what to do, that is your decision, you see, which you actually create. That's what happens. Therefore, your position, or even the fact that you experience, right, this is divine. It's actually an act of God. You see, and that, therefore, in that respect, you are actually divine. Therefore, that solves the problem. Because even though you are experiencing the future world, because God has given you that, but the whole concept of you experiencing that is yours, because you created it. You really caused it, you see. And as a result of that, you have now acted as a God. <clears throat> so therefore, that's interesting. What God wants is you to exercise the actions of a God. And you could do that with free will. Because until you create it, it doesn't exist. Therefore, once you exercise that will, free will, in other words, your, whole, your entire Olam Habo depends on the creation, or rather the exercising of a divine act, then you do not have Namadik Sufa. Because even though on one side, God has given you the future world, on the other side, you caused it. You see, he's giving it to you only because you did the right decision. And therefore, your position in the future world is caused by God. You see, your position, I should say, is caused by yourself. Therefore, the mere fact that your entire future 
is caused by you, that is the true actions of a God. Because only God has free will. And he gave it to us. Now, we don't know how, you see. Um, but that apparently is sufficient for us to experience, uh, and rather not to experience, the bread of shame. <clears throat> Therefore, we now understand something very important. It's actually very critical. Because the whole reason why God made this world, Oilam Hazer, is in order for us to remove the experience of shame. Namadik Sufa, the bread of shame. <clears throat> you see? Because it doesn't make sense for us to experience God always feeling as if we're inferior for eternity. So what God did is he created a situation where we will remove the Namadik Sufa. We can actually remove it. How? <clears throat> because we are now responsible for our existence into the future world. Even though he's giving it to us, the existence, right? But since we caused the situation, you see, we actually determined that we have a situation in which we are attached to God, that removes the bread of shame. Therefore, God created this world so that we should have a task to do something. And because of that, we should make the right decision thereby causing our own existence in the future world, the, you know, it's the, the responsibility, the obligation, right? <clears throat> and the possibility is now been fulfilled by us. That removes Nahmatik Sufa, you see. And that is why, like I say, God created this world to give us, to be able to remove that shame that we are completely dependent on God. <clears throat> because since we created, the, 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 since we uh, have free will, we actually created our situation in the future world. Like I say, that is the acts of a God, and therefore we no longer feel uh, the dynamic sufa, the bread of shame. You see? So therefore the solution to removing Namadik Sufa, which is called the Tikkun, the rectification, of bread of shame, you see, we now have removed that. And for all eternity, even though we are receiving the existence of the future world from him, but since all of it is basically due, the whole reason for it is due to the fact that we have exercised a divine act, which is free will, Bechira, you see? So this is the reason why God created this world. Now, what's interesting is God realized that to a certain extent, we can't do it on our own. Why? Because, you know, if we choose the wrong decision, then we have to be finished, punished. So what God realized that he, he has to be able to suspend the consequences of our faulty decision. So he introduced Rachmanut, mercy, compassion, but compassion, obviously, is not true justice because it suspends the justice, you see? And if something suspends justice in the sense that we don't suffer the total consequences, then again, that's bread of shame, you see? Because God is coming in to help us out. But it has to be that way because the world cannot exist with pure decision, right or wrong, 
with pure free will. Because if it existed with pure free will, as soon as we sinned, we would die. So that's the consequence of the wrong decision to go against the will of God. <clears throat> Therefore, we must have compassion together with justice. However, that's fine. It keeps us going, you see. However, tzaddikim, it says God is medagdek with them. God is exacting with them to a hair's breath. Because a tzaddik doesn't want to have any nahamadik sufa. He wants to be completely held responsible for every act that he does. Isn't that interesting? So a tzaddik wants to, do what, he wants to get what he deserves. Nothing more, nothing less. Because that is a complete removal of Namik Sufa, of bread of shame, because he will be completely responsible for his position in the future world. So it's interesting. By a tzaddik, a tremendous tzaddik, God will treat him in a tremendously exacting, precision way, which means if he does the wrong decision, he gets fully punished, you see. But that's what the tzaddik wants. He doesn't want any mitigation of the punishment, you see, because then it's not fair. And God is pitching in for him, you see. So that's what he wants. That's why you find many tzaddikim, righteous people, who suffer greatly, because they don't want a compassion, you know, where God will interfere with justice. They're getting the full measure of what they did, and therefore, whatever position they have is completely uh, created by them, you see? That's why there are many tzaddikim that suffer, even though we wonder why he's such a righteous person. Why is he suffering so much? Because that's what they want, really. And this is what the Chazal tell us, and so on. In any case, this is the concept of this world. This world was created to remove the dread of shame feeling and to allow us to feel like a true God in the future world. This is the whole point of this world. That's called the Tikkun of Namanik Sufa, to rectify the conflict, the, the feelings that you get from being vulnerable, you see, for the fact that you have to receive existence from God, and therefore there's a tremendous inferiority. Uh, therefore, that's what happens. And therefore, that is why we have to go through this world first, and only later get the future world so we, can, we, we will have been able to exhibit a divine act, which means that in a certain sense we are a true God, in a certain sense, and therefore we no longer feel the inferiority that we would feel because of Namdik Sufa. Any questions? Rabbi? Yeah. So, have everybody get, all the green, all did everybody get make us What? All the Goyim make us do is feel the Kisufa. That I make, you automatically, you automatically. No, the, automatically, the Goyim, the Goyim, that's what they're trying to make us feel. Inferior. Yes, but, well, yes, that is the result of our bad decisions. So now what's going on with, now what's going on in the world? Hashem created a world and it, it's out of control. The people, there's so much hatred and it's evil and... Maybe it was better yeah. if he didn't create it. Well, you know, it does say in the Gemara 
that God have charoto, we have to understand what that means, that he created the eight Sahara. You know? He, he, he does, does say that. That he actually has charoto. You know, regret. that God has regret, correct. That he created the eight Sahara because he obviously sees and knows that to create well, the eight Sahara. So let him get rid of it. Well, he can't because the eight Sahara is what gives us the free will in the sense that he's the one who gives us the choice. If you didn't have a eight Sahara, guess what? You would never choose wrongly. Never. Well, I'd be happy. It's better. We won't have evil. You may be happy, but you, can't get rid- you cannot get rid of your better shame. You see? You have to create your future world. In order to create that, you have to have the capacity of free will, which God gives, but you also have to have choices. If you don't have a choice, if there's no opposite direction to go in, guess what? You don't choose. You know, it's like Russia. Russia has elections, but there's only one guy running. You see? So you can either choose to vote or choose to stay home. You see? So the, the purpose of the Eitzhara is to allow us choices, options. If we don't have an option, there's nothing to choose. And if we have nothing to choose, how are we going to exercise our divine ability, thereby removing our inferiority? See how it works? If Obviously, Hashem gave God you a decided, choice, Yetzahara or not, you would say, give me one, I would say, give me, I don't care, I don't need it. Fine. But if you realize that without Yetzahara, you're not going to sin. And if you're not going to sin, you will not exercise your divine ability. Obviously, God feels it's more important for the future world, because remember, the future world is eternal. The Yetzirah is only while you're alive, however years you live, see? So it's better to have an eternity without that feeling, right, than it has a 70-year existence, right, you know, with that feeling and so on, you know, uh, it's better. Remember, the future world is eternal. It never ends. That's more important than the end for your status, you see? So how do you feel about what's going on now? The whole world well, all of this, I had mentioned all of this is what's called punishment for kapara. All of this. We are coming at the end of time, right? And as a result of that, the, the Jewish people need kapara. God has to balance the books in, in, in order to, that they should deserve the, free, the, uh, the uh, future world. And this is the, the way it's done. One of the ways, anyway. We need kapara. We need to, uh, you know, uh, to uh, atone for all our mistakes, to all the Gilgulim, to all the lives that we live. And therefore, one of the strongest ways to do that is called galut, exile. <clears throat> the goyim, on the other hand, they don't realize. They have no concept. They don't realize how punished they will get, how they will get so punished for doing this. But listen, that's their choice. They have the same, they have Yetzirah also. They don't have to do this. They also can get the future world, not in the same way as the Jew, but they can certainly get the future world. You see? But they have chosen many ways to do evil, tremendous amount of evil. You know, and when the time comes, they will be repaid. So what I've, I've tried to answer is why is there a Bilam Hazeh, a world now which there's such a struggle and the answer is that the struggle is to remove the feeling of inferiority from a being on, that is partially is divine that's what I've tried to explain
you see. Any other question? Wow, so, okay, it's great. So, so, Rabbi, I have a question. So, yeah. then, you were saying how the Sadiqim, um, they like to get punished um, in exact measure so that um, they could own their status in Olam Haba. Correct. Not that they want to get punished, but if they did sin and they need punishment to atone, they don't want compassion. They don't want you know, they want a hundred percent of the measure that they did, and that's an justice removes uh, the uh, bit of shame, and they want it all. You see? Okay, so the people that don't get it all that do want Hashem's mercy, right? What yes. What does that mean in Olam Haba for them? Well, in Olam Haba, it does mean that we have a situation in Olam Haba, right? that we did not cause, because God had mercy on us, and justice would have demanded much worse. The problem is that most people cannot, uh, you know, uh, uh, stand up to that Yetzirah, so then nobody would exist. Everybody would have been destroyed because they never measured up. So therefore, God makes sure that he suspends justice. But I want to tell you something. You may have mercy in a particular situation, but don't worry, God will make it up in another. In other words, let's assume a person does a sin, uh, and let's assume that the sin, he really should die, right? Now, God doesn't kill him, so in a certain sense, he suspends the judgment, right? But wait a minute, but that means the guy is walking away, you know, in a certain sense, without true justice. So what God does is he will do true justice, but in another situation, Maybe he'll make that person suffer in a certain way, you know, a year later. God has everything worked out. So in the end, everybody will deserve exactly what they did. They may not receive it then, you see, but they will get ultimately whatever they deserve. Down to the, God will uh, cross every T and dot every I. It just doesn't happen to happen now. You see, because uh, obviously the person will not survive. So God waits. And if it doesn't happen in this Gilgul, in this incarnation, then God will wait for another incarnation and make that person suffer in the other incarnation. You see, it's all laid out over the 6,000 years. Everybody in the end will have paid all their debts in terms of sinning and gotten their measure of atonement, and then all the, re- all the good deeds that they did is ready for Ilam Habo. You see how it works? But in the end, everybody pays off their debts, whether it be in this lifetime, whether it be this year, next year, or whatever, or this lifetime, or the tenth lifetime after this. God's got it all planned out. You see? So in the end, Nobody has Namadik Sufa. Bread of shame. You see? Because whatever you caused will come back. The consequences. Mida Teneged Mida. You see? But it's just done in a different way. You see what I'm saying? So now with everything that's going on in the world... You said it's, it's an atonement for our sins. But, Correct. I mean, if we think about it, it, 
you know, there's so many Jews that are lost. There's so many people that are still sinning. How much more can can we take as just a nation even, uh, you know, just to even survive? It's, 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 there's always going to be people sinning is what I'm trying to say. Yes. So is there always going to so, be darkness? Like when is Hashem going to just end it? Well, like I say, he's got the exact account of each person and what they have to go through to end it. Only he knows the end, you see. And that's the Be'itoi. In its time, he will hasten it, which means he knows the exact end. We don't. We have to hope, you know. <clears throat> well, actually, it is. You know, you know the, uh, one of the reasons for the Holocaust was because you needed that to incredibly speed up the Cheshbon, the account. You see, that period of time, those six years, from 1939 till 1945, was probably one of the greatest Midat Hadin, judgment eras, ever known to the Jewish people. Because it's not the fact that six million Jews died, it's the way they died, the fact that the Germans used every aspect of their body to make lampshades or whatever, uh, when, you, when you looked at the Holocaust, you saw God says, well, I've got these millions of Jews, Nishamot, right? And they all have debts to pay. And if they don't pay the debt, they will have Namanik Sufa. If I remove the debt, then that's not good for them because they will be experiencing, you know, a freebie in the future world. So I'm going to devote, I'm going to assign this six-year period to a complete, almost complete, anyway, balance. That's what he did. That Holocaust is one of the greatest times of Midat Hadin, the time of judgment. Absolute, it was incredible judgment. Even though there were miracles, there are many people that survived miraculously. But in an overall sense, this was a what's called a, like a total cleanup for the Jewish people. Why? Because we are close to the Messianic era. You see? And all of this has to be done before the Mashiach comes. Nothing like this will happen after the Mashiach comes because there's no Yetzirah, there's no Malach HaMavis, there's no Angel of Death. It's gone. Your ability to balance your book is gone once the Mashiach bin David arrives. It still can be present in the time of Mashiach ben Yosef, because that's the ongoing struggle, really, to destroy the Satan and so on. Uh, so therefore, everything has to be cleaned up. All debts have to be paid before the Mashiach comes. And that is one of the reasons for the Holocaust. That Holocaust paid the debt for thousands of years of Jewish history of the Jewish people. And obviously God found it necessary to do, because like I said, since the Mashiach is very near, he had to do this. Look, there's a lot of balancing going on. We have no idea why and what, you see. <coughs> uh, and so on, you know. I, I, once, I once made a statement, why do we have a stock market? I don't know if I ever said this. Why do we have a stock market? Because a stock market is not a real business. Right? You, what you do is you buy a share and you become a little partner in a business and therefore you get the rewards that they, their business uh, income and so on. 
<clears throat> the answer is because God wants to balance the books. He doesn't have time for you to go into a business and then you lose it. He can get you to lose money overnight for millions and millions of people. You see, the stock market is a perfect device that will very quickly balance the books because it can make a person very poor very quickly or it can make a person very rich very quickly. If God wants to reward somebody in a sense of making him rich so he can now have a different situation from which to choose good and evil, he can do that. You see, sometimes God wants to make somebody rich, not just poor, and so on. Sometimes God wants to give reward here so he will have less in the future world. Less, exactly, which is incredible. And the way he does that, he speeds up the ability with the stock market. That's why we have a stock market at the end of time. You see, it was only discovered about, what, about 250 years ago. That's all. When people decided that they want to allow you to become a partner and therefore get money because of the profits of the company. You see, that never happened before. You wanted to make money, you had to open a business or work for somebody. But we're here buying a share and making money that way. But what that does, it allows people to become rich or poor overnight. You see, that's why you have that. We are very close to the Messianic era. And therefore, you are having tremendous amount of radical shifts. The stock market is a radical shift of how to make money or how to become poor. The Holocaust is a radical shift that incredibly accelerates the time of justice and so on. COVID is the same way. A pandemic is the same thing. It will, it will incredibly speed up the justice, you see, because so many people die. Millions and millions of people die and so on, you know. That's why you have pandemics. God's got it all under control. He's got every nishama under control and what he needs. And that's why one of the blessings that we say in the morning, uh, the birchat ashacha, the, uh, the blessings of the morning, right? That God gave me, right? He does for me all my needs. doesn't say that God gives me, you know, tzorech, uh, needs. No. My needs. He gives you exactly what you need. It's like a prescription. In order to balance the books and in order to remove Nahamadik Sufa. You see? My needs. Called tzorki. My needs. And that's why. We thank God that he knows exactly. It's like a doctor. He knows exactly the medicine the situation that we need to go through in order to survive. And to have, remember, not to have Namadi Kisufa, bread of shame in the future world. Because that's what the whole reason for this world is all about. To remove that difficulty the Neshama will have. It needs to feel like a God. So it's in concert with what it is. The Neshama, uh, part of the living God. But it needs to do a divine act over and over again, which is free will. And that removes Namadik Sufa. You see? Yep. Good. That's great. By the way, a sheer on this particular topic that I gave you, you can go through your whole life and never hear this. You can ask anybody 
Why do we have Olam Hazir? And they will not know. So enjoy the year.